hey, it's Ian Altman, people would come to me and say, can you build a community where we can interact with other people who are applying same-side selling to their business? And that's what we built with the Same Side Selling Academy. Best of all, right now, it's totally free. So go to samesidesellingacademy.com, sign up there, and be a part of the community. And just, I encourage you to be an active member of that community. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey there, sport fans. My guest this week is Chris Voss. Chris is a best-selling author of a book called Never Split the Difference. He's a former... FBI hostage negotiator and one of the foremost experts on the planet when it comes to negotiation and influence. We're going to talk to Chris about the greatest misconception when it comes to influence and negotiation. We'll talk about how you should introduce yourself early in a phone call to earn that extra attention. And then the keys to making a great first impression, last impression, and how to make sure that you're always on the same side of the table with the other party. You're going to learn a ton. One of my favorite interviews, Chris Voss. Chris Voss, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I am happy to be here. Well, you know, it beats the alternative, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. So, so Chris, share with our audience, and obviously I've given people your, your, um, your detailed bio and background, but share with the audience something that they may not know about you. Uh, you know, uh, that's a tough one because so much of, uh, I mean, I'm a small town boy from Iowa. I mean, uh, that doesn't, people are often surprised by that based on my convoluted accent, which has bits and pieces of New York in it. Um, so yeah, small, small town Iowa boy from a small high school. I will tell you that if someone said to me, Hey, look, you've talked to Chris for a little bit. Where's he from? A small town in Iowa never would have made the list. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You know, and and uh, and, and I where I grew up is um, about 35 miles away from the future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> yeah. The future birthplace. I love it. Yeah, man. Riverside, Iowa. It's in all the history books. <laughs> <laughs> So your expertise, obviously, when it comes to the methods and approaches for negotiation, for influence, is something that you spend a lot of time on, and, and you're clearly an expert in that space. But first, I want to talk about what are the biggest mistakes or misconceptions that people have about negotiation or influence? I think there's two really big things. Uh, the nature of a proper first impression and um, that you got to go first. I mean, people are so determined to get their point across. I got to get my point across. I got to get past the first impression so I can get my point across. So then hopefully I can, you know, I can close. Um, and the, the, the two biggest problems are the first impression and what the nature of a good first impression should be. And that you got to get to the point. You know, we like to say the most dangerous negotiation is the one you don't know you're in. And if you're thinking you got to get to the point, you've already been in a negotiation and you're losing. And I love that notion because one of the things that I often will share with my audience is this notion that, look, if you're in a sales role, the first thing you have to do is disarm the other person of the notion that you're just there to sell something because right. none of us like to feel like we're being sold to. And I imagine that in complex 
hostage negotiations and in high-pressure moments, half of your job over the years was probably just making sure the other person didn't think you were just trying to do something for your own interests, but actually looking out for their interests as well. Yeah, well, uh, 90% of our job was uh, disarming them and um, keeping from feeling that we're only out for ourselves. And not necessarily that we were looking out for their best interests, but we were aware of what they are. I love that. And, and so, and there's a there's a really big difference because, like, you know, a, a personal hero of mine, a hostage negotiator, that got all the hostages out of Lebanon in the 1980s, Johnny Pico. Yeah. He was like, you know, the other side doesn't expect you to be fair. They don't think that, that you're going to be on their side. They do want you. They do want to be able to rely on what you say. Yep. And those those are two really important distinctions. I never try to fool anybody into thinking like, hey, I'm your buddy, I'm your friend. But I do want you to believe in everything I say. It's interesting. One of the, one of the things that I often caution young salespeople, they'll, they'll read somebody else's book on different cold calling tactics. They'll start with these dishonest techniques. And I'll often say to them, look, at that point, your goal is to reach somebody under a false premise that they're going to quickly discover was a lie. Don't start a relationship on the foundation of a lie because if you do that, it's only going to go downhill from there. And I'm sure there's times in high-stakes negotiations where that's got to be a tricky balance. Well, hostage negotiators are the ultimate cold callers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all that. right, so you know what? We're the ultimate cold callers. And look at what we sold. We sold jail sentences. And you know what? We had buyers. That's awesome. So, so how would you do it? So what's, yeah, how do we pull that yeah. off? Like, and the other thing, too, is like a hostage negotiator will spend a massive amount of time getting a f- perfect first sentence. And, and you, know, you know what the best thing for me to say as a hostage negotiator is, hi, I'm Chris. And the ultimate best thing for a salesperson to say is, hi, I'm Chris. Yeah. Now, but most salespeople are going to say, hi, is Chris Voss on a small phone? Can I speak to Chris Voss, please? And you've already screwed up if that's if that's your opening line. That you you're you're already you're already killing yourself. Well, and my guess is when you just start with, "Hi, I'm Chris." Your tone is one of empathy, and when you stop talking, they're going to say something. Right. Um, tone is. Tone is non-threatening, which is empathy. And also, see, when the other guy picks up the phone, there's two things they don't know about me. They don't know who I am or what I want. Now, if I can take one of those away in the first three seconds, I now buy time for what I want. So when I say, hi, I'm Chris, I've just taken away half of their anxiety. That's great. You know, and this is something that I want the audience to appreciate is this is not some Jedi mind trick. It's just very simply, okay, the phone rings and it's having the empathy and understanding that says what's going through that guy's mind right now. Right. Well, he's thinking who the hell's calling and what do they want? Right. And so if you're taking away who's calling and now you just say, hi, this is Chris. They go, great. And my guess is that, um, and I don't want to steal your thunder. My guess is, they probably answer and say, what do you want? (laughs) 
Well, they're going to say that, but in a far different tone of voice. Yeah. You want to script out your first three sentences, understanding what the real anxiety is on the other side. It's been an awful lot uh, that I've come across lately is talking about first impression and what people are really looking for in a first impression. And then, of course, what the relative value of the first impression. First impression is your second most important impression. The last impression is actually the most important impression. But the first impression is um, the other side is we'll stay on the phone with you if you sound competent and if they could trust you. Now, trust is a longer term issue. But if I'm hiding my name from you and I and I want to be known just as Chris, I don't want to be Chris, you know, in the hostage negotiation world. I don't want to be Chris Boss, special agent hostage negotiator with the FBI. All those extra different uh, titles have caused me to be less of a person. I may have to say I'm Chris Voss and I'm a negotiator with the FBI, but that's going to be the max. Yeah. Salesperson, salesperson should have, you know, sh- shouldn't worry about their last name. Shouldn't worry about your titling. You, you, you want to be shared. You want to be known by one name from the other person <laughs> because it's immediate. They, they relax so much when you're, you, you get to be on a first name basis with a friend. If you're friends with Chris Voss, you don't call me on a phone. Call me Chris Voss. You call me Chris. So you and and that you want to the maximum personalization comes with first name alone. Wow! And then you can start to get into the rest of it on that you know in the next two to three sentences, which should be designed to alleviate fears, as opposed to corralling someone. Which most salespeople are trying to corral the other side. The other side knows that they don't want to be corralled. It's exactly. I mean the. The challenge is, and one of the things I often share with people is, people have been taught some awful, horrible uh, habits and behaviors. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and the problem is, they're being taught by someone who was also taught those behaviors by somebody else. So it's like multiple generations. And, you know, I often say to people, I'll say, so, gee, when you're calling somebody, what's your goal? And they say, well, the goal is to get a meeting. I said, well, what if your goal is just to see if there's a good fit? between the challenges they're facing and what you're good at solving. How might and that be perceived differently? Exactly. Exactly right. And now the other side can relax if you're going for a good fit as opposed to you need what I've got. It doesn't matter what you need. You need what I've got. <laughs> you have a definite need for what I have. What do you need again? Right. I mean, it's like that's kind of the, the approach – that most people stereotypically have in sales, which is awful. And one of the things that, that I teach, and I'm interested to get your feedback or thoughts on it, and it's okay if we blow it up, is the notion of when I talk about disarming, one of the things that I teach my clients is if I'm calling, let's say, a technology company, and I work with a lot of different technology companies, and someone says, what do you do? I might say, well, you know what? Technology companies often come to us when they're facing these sorts of problems, but only about half the people we talk to are a good fit for how we solve it. I don't even know if I can help you yet, but I'm happy to learn more about what you got going on to see if we might be able to help. And the message there is that I help other people just like you, but only about half of them are a good fit for me, which means now our job together is determine if there's a good fit. And the underlying emotional intelligence message of that, which is even more important, is you're respecting the other side's autonomy. And autonomy is one of the essential drivers of human behavior. 
And as soon as you show someone that you're respecting their autonomy, they're more likely to explore the fit with you because the caveman part of their brain is not triggering run, run, run. He's trying to trap me. Caveman part of the brain is saying like, all right, I can stay in this conversation because he's not trying to trap me. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a mindset that I try to instill in people's brains that says, look, your job is not to convince somebody that they need your stuff. Your job is to ask the questions so they convince you that they actually need it, which really drives people nuts. And, and, and I got to tell you right now, one of the things going through my mind is you said you script out or would script out in these hostage negotiations your first three sentences. And I'm guessing there's a lot our listeners can learn from the three sentences or the three ideas that you would think of in those situations. So I'm dying to know. Yeah, well, uh, hostage negotiator is going to come in one or two approaches. Say, hi, I'm Chris. I'm here to talk to you about coming out. And the other guy is going to say, I'm not coming out. <laughs> and then I'm going to say, no, 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 I know you're not coming out now. But I want you to know what it's going to look like when you do so that you feel treated with respect and dignity. Boom. Love that. Now, another, another approach that uh, a colleague of mine came up with um, – uh, Vince Delfonso, what he liked was, uh, hi, I'm Vince. Are you okay? Because <laughs> the hostage takers expecting us to ask about the hostages. Yeah. And if we don't ask about them first, we can't ask about the hostages. Which, again, is, you know, what's, what's an order of priority? Say something that catches the other side so off guard that they can't wait to hear what your next response is going to be. So, uh, or, or, you know, or you're using an emotionally intelligent psychological tactic to get them to dial in. Salesperson, hi, I'm Chris. Are you in the middle of something? Now, there's, I've, I've just become a human being on the other end of the line. I've just respected their autonomy. They're either going to say, no, but what's this all about? Or they're going to say, yes, but what's this all about? This is the one time the but as an erasing word works to our favor. When they say, what's this all about? You have their undivided attention for the next four seconds. Yep. If you continue to uh, respect their autonomy and not try to close them very much, what you're saying, you know, this might not be for you. I'm not sure this is the best fit for you. Now, you're also going to... And any salesperson is going to have a reason for calling a person on the other end of the phone. Unless you're picking num names out of a phone book, I don't think anybody's doing that. We should hope not. As soon as, you know, you've got a legitimate reason for calling this prospect. If you simply remind them of that reason, what that does is it brings their actual need, because you got an actual reason, it brings that back to the front of their mind and gives them the freedom to talk about it with you. And that, now you're dialed in. Now, now you got to, now you got to, as long as it's a conversation, as long as you're not trying, this whole micro-agreement strategy is taking away people's autonomy because they know where that's going. They know you're trying to trap them. As long as you're, again, this might not be for, for you. As long as that's your attitude, they're free to continue to talk. And also you find out how much time they've got. You know, one of the, one of the reasons for, um, putting a time limit on the conversation. Like if I need seven, if I need three minutes, I'm going to ask for seven because yeah. every conversation is conditioning and I want to condition uh, a, a prospect on the other end of the line. I will always take less time than you give me, 
which now the last impression is, wow, that was refreshing. I didn't get trapped. The guy got me off the phone early. I'll talk to this guy again in the future. There's an element of that I often hear from reps where I'll do the same thing. I tell people, look, set how much time. Listen, our conversation will probably take about nine minutes. And are you okay having a discussion about this as long as I stick to that time frame? So that way I'm reinforcing that I'm going to be respectful of their time. And then I'll get a rep that says, yeah, but the client was just going on and on, so I let him go. And we went past the nine minutes. I'm like, no, no, you can't do that. So what you have to do is as you get to, let's say, eight minutes, you say, look, I know we agreed to spend only nine minutes. I've got more time, but I want to be respectful of your time, and we agreed it would only be nine minutes. I'm happy to go on, but if you'd like to reschedule, I'm fine with that. Nine times out of ten, the guy who's excited goes, no, no, I'll keep going. We're good. Then you're okay, but you have to get that permission. Otherwise, even though they're the ones who went on, they get off the phone and go, you know, this guy, Chris, he called me up. He said nine minutes. Sure, I was talking, but now it's 20 minutes later. I didn't get the thing done I needed to get done. Now I look bad and say, okay, Chris's fault. You're like, no, no, you were talking, but they don't see it that way because they're going to be revisionist historians and they're going to remember it as you manipulated their time. Right, exactly, because the last impression is the lasting impression. If you kept them on longer than agreed to to begin with, no matter whose fault it was, they're going to blame you. You're a thousand percent right. So, I mean, that that element, by the way, I love this idea of don't take away their autonomy. And, I mean, candidly, there are a lot of things that I teach where I've got a long history of these things working, but I love talking to you and getting into some of the science behind it. And here's why this works, because you're not taking away their autonomy. You're respecting their position. You're treating them with respect yeah. for their time. Yep. I, did, I just knew yep. it worked, and I figured there had to be a reason behind it. And now we're learning what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, – we've uh, – in my company, I mean, I got a, a brain trust that works with me that we're constantly moving our thinking forward. But, you know, the whole idea of the book from back in 2002, Start With No, by Jim Camp, and I collaborated with him and I collaborate with his son to this day. You know, as soon as you let somebody know, he called it the right to veto. As soon as you preserve somebody's autonomy and give them the the right to say no at all times, they're more likely to say yes. We've actually taken it to the next level and we intentionally trigger no. We don't even bother with yes. We make our deals by people saying um, no to us instead, instead so give, of So give yes. me an example. Instead of saying, would this work for you? I'll say, is this a ridiculous idea? Is this unworkable for you? Are you yeah. against it? And instead, would this work for you? You know, people know they're being trapped. But if I say, is this a ridiculous idea? Are you against this? So, and they'll say, no. And as a matter of fact, this is how it would work. And they'll take the next two or three steps forward for me into implementation. I love that. Um, I, I often phrase it as asking questions in the negative. And one of the things that I perceive, and I'm sure, I'm sure you can explain the science behind this, what I perceive is that if I ask you a question that is in the affirmative, I almost think that people answer in autopilot. But if I answer it in the negative, people aren't used to getting it. So it's almost like they're, they're a little bit more thoughtful. And when you're raising a contrarian view, people have to think about it and process a little bit more. So if it's the notion of if what we're selling is not the least expensive thing and it's it's the most expensive thing, I'll teach my clients to say, look, I mean, the fact that we're not the least expensive, is there no way we could work together? The client will go, no, not at all. I mean, 
not necessarily. Okay. But there's probably some things you'd need to see to be comfortable spending more with us than with somebody else, right? Yeah. Like what? And then they'll tell us exactly what we have to show them so they're comfortable spending more on our solution than somebody else's. But, I mean, so right. so psychologically and, and from a personality standpoint, why does that work that way? Because I just know that it does. I just don't know why it does. Well, people are used to the uh, – the it's the mere agreement or the yes trap or the little yeses to yeah. get the big yes. Um, that's been so overdone uh, that all human beings are like battered children. So – what happens when you try to get somebody – when you go to try to hug a battered child, they're going to duck even if you're trying to be nice yeah. to them. So the this affirmative response, the yes response, creates anxiety. And what happens when you create anxiety on the other side, people become paralyzed. You're creating a negative. They're worried about what, in the, they're, what they're letting themselves in for. It's very distracting. The limbic system interacts with the prefrontal cortex in a way that creates anxiety and is distracting and actually slows the brain down. So no is protection. And since people having just protected themselves, the limbic system, the emotional side of the brain, the caveman brain is not injecting the same sort of anxiety response in somebody's head. And their thinking remains clear. It actually even clears up a little bit more as a result of having said no, because people feel protected by it. And there's another aspect that I'm curious about, which is one of the things that I try to encourage people to do is to say, look, you got to focus on not just what it is you're selling, but what the end result is that that individual or client is looking for. Because if they don't think that you're in sync with the results and you're as committed to the results as they are, they're going to be a little bit skeptical. So I, I imagine even like in the hostage negotiation part, there's people who at a certain point, they kind of almost have to come to accept that, okay, they're not walking out of there, you know, with all the money and, and all the fame and, and fortune. Um, this probably isn't going to end well. So you're trying to help them, you know, end this thing in a peaceful way so they can walk and talk about it another day. Well, no, it's um, uh, very close to what you're talking about. When you say the end result, then, then what it is is what is it, what, what's in the other yeah. person's head. Now, all right, so first of all, I'm using hostage negotiation skills, tactical empathy, emotional intelligence, so that I can establish rapport to find out what's in their head. Once I find out what's in their head, then i got to decide whether or not that's going to work for me or if I, or if I have to yeah. change it. Now, I'm only going to be able to change that vision – in a way that'll last with hostage negotiation, tactical empathy. And I'm going to be able to change that if that's my way in, which is why that, you know, this yes momentum stuff, you know, leading somebody into a trap, it makes people feel anxiety, anxious and uneasy, which interferes with my ability to change their perspective. Now I can change their perspective with the right approach, but I got to know what they value. Um, And so a bad guy on the inside He's worried about coming out because he's seen himself coming out in handcuffs. Yep. Um, I got to I got to get that change. I got to redefine that from a surrender to coming out because surrender is a bad word. It denotes giving in, submitting. And then I got to say, you know, where do you want to be after this is all said and done? I got to change the point what he's seeing in his head. Yeah. What you know, you want to be a free man once you've gotten this all behind. You want to be alive. You want to spend time yeah. with your kids. I move their vision to that, 
and away from the immediate yeah. aftermath. Yeah, so, oh, gee, ultimately, here's where you want to be. And you can't guarantee him that there isn't going to be a takedown outside the, outside the building because that's kind of just the way it's going to work. But you're trying to move past that incidental step and more to, so you, you don't you want to be at your child's wedding? Yeah, but I wouldn't ask yeah. it like that because that's too leading yeah. of a question. So, you know, I'm going to start. I need, I need to know what the vision of the future is and see if I can find a place in the future we both agree on. And I need to know whether or not this guy wants to be alive in the future. Now we can work our way back from that. Yeah, I love it. You know, and so it might be a five-year goal, might be a ten-year yeah. goal. Is a, a, and, 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 and so let's talk about it in those terms instead of, instead of the next yeah. two hours. One of the things I love that you write about in the book is this notion of how you, in essence, can project the behavior you want on people, even if they're doing what might be perceived as the exact opposite. And, and I think you know where I'm going with this, where, you know, that notion of if I'm dealing with somebody who's being really cheap, I might say, oh, well, thank you for being so generous, but not but not sarcastically. So can you talk about that yeah. a little bit? Because I think I think that's just great insight. I read it. I'm like, man, that's just brilliant. Yeah, well, it's no it's no what's really going on inside the other side's head and what's going on inside the other side's head and what their actions are are usually two different things. So I, if, somebody, if somebody's being cheap with me, whether their time or their money, then they highly value it. You know, what's the bizarro Seinfeld interpretation in their brain? Yep. So you're, if you're saying to yourself, look, dude, you're lucky I'm talking to you at all. You're lucky I'm offering you anything at all. In your bizarro world, and, that, and that's the hard part about empathy, because empathy's got nothing to do with the truth. Empathy is, you know, what's your opinion? And I can say to you, look, look, man, thank you for being so generous with your time. Now, you and the other thing that does, too, is it, it, I reach in and I flip that switch on positivity and it actually enhances that. And we use it, you know, people being stingy, we call them being generous. I had a great story recently. Los Angeles, where I'm living now, is notorious for people being uh, an affect which you know I've um, I've defined as open indifference. Yeah, <laughs> and very very aloof, and wants you to see that you're being aloof to him. So I'm in San Francisco recently, and a guy's telling me about how he cracked that cracked the code and to meeting people in Los Angeles. He'll walk into a room, and instead of waiting for people to be aloof, he just out loud goes, "You know what? I love Los Angeles because people in Los Angeles are so so friendly and so nice <laughs> and so open to conversation." And that immediately punches that button in everybody's brain and suddenly it transforms them without knowing it to want to be friendly and open and nice and having pleasant conversations. So he's manipulating people into being a better person that way. That's that's fantastic. You know, there's a um, there's a there's a guy I know who travels about as much as I do and I'm sure as you do. And he'll um, he'll go in a hotel and he'll walk in and say, oh, you guys are my favorite. Every time I come in, you guys always blow me away with like one upgrade over another. And I don't even expect it. And you guys just always blow me away. How are you today? <laughs> and it's like, and the, and the person tells the story. It's like, yeah, probably, you know, four to five times. It's like, oh, we have you in this suite now. <laughs> well, you made the person on the other side feel yeah. amazing in doing that instead of feeling like they were beaten into it. I mean, you talk about raising the positive level nature of the universe in one fell swoop with a great approach like that. That's fantastic. That whole notion, man, I just I think that I think the key for a lot of people is that that notion of 
giving your client or prospect or your employee or whoever you're dealing with their autonomy. It's like, you know, I've got, a, I've got an 18-year-old daughter, and when she was looking at different colleges, different universities, it was like, you know, there was one school that I knew was the best fit for her. And there were other schools that on the surface seemed more attractive. I knew they weren't the best for her. And people said, why don't you just tell her? I said, oh, that's the kiss of death. If I tell her this is a school you should go to, that's the last school she's going to. But if I said, well, gee, look at these three different options. Why would you pick this one over this one over that one? And so so what's your highest priority? Huh. So what do you think? All right. And thankfully, she picked the one that uh, that I think is the best fit. Now she loves it there. But I was a little nervous for a while. Yeah, you know, because you really, you're, you're letting go a little bit. You're giving the other side their autonomy. And when you give them their autonomy, they're more likely to come in, in, in the right direction. The art of letting the other side have your way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, Chris, I know my audience is going to want more. What's the best way for them to connect with you, learn more about what you guys are doing? I know you guys have an amazing newsletter also. So how do people find out more about that? Yeah, excellent. Thanks, man. The newsletter is called The Edge. comes out once a week, short, concise articles, five to 700 words max. You know, you, you, you're not reading the encyclopedia trying to get through these things. I just it was in, just in Boston and had a, a high-level contracts negotiator telling me how much he loved The Edge, mostly because it's concise and usable. So uh, the way you – the way you uh, Subscribe to it. The quickest, easiest way is to text the words FBI empathy. Make it all one word. Don't put don't let your autocorrect spell put a space between FBI and empathy. And uh, lowercase is fine. And send it to 22828. That's 22828. You get a, uh, a response back to sign you up for the newsletter. And it is the gateway to everything that we do. That's fantastic. And Chris, we'll have people look you up on Twitter and thank you as well. I mean, really just great stuff. I feel like you and I could talk about this stuff for uh, for hours and hours. And I just – I love when I'm talking to somebody like you and I can come away with as many notes and as many takeaways as I have. So I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom. Thanks, Ian. An absolute pleasure being on with you. Thank you for yeah. having me on. There's a ton of great information that Chris shared. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap, the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, remember, Chris talked about the first impression is one of the greatest misconceptions. And I love how he says the first impression is the second most important, and the last impression is the most important. Also, this idea of just calling people up and saying, hi, this is Ian, hi, this is Chris, might be a great way to introduce a conversation. And then the biggest takeaway is don't take away somebody's autonomy. Make sure that you're always being respectful of their position and their time, and that'll go a long way. And of course, take the time to subscribe to Chris's newsletter, The Edge. It's not filled with hype. It's practical stuff you can use. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover or a guest I should have on the show, someone hopefully as cool as Chris, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.